you can't say in committee, oh, I love this candidate. They're great. They have all this, ugh, that GPA is a 3-0, right? Or that GMAT is, or the GRE is lower than we want. But that, let's go, you know, using the 3-0 example for the GMAT. Oh, but this person worked three jobs because they were providing for their family or they didn't have tuition. They're not a trust fund baby, right? Or, you know, then you have to look at that and say, if I'm going to value that experience, I have to value what that data point is on their, in their application. I have people who I'll say, listen, your GPA is a little outside the ranges of, you know, the schools you're looking at. And they're like, Kendra, I'm damn proud of that GPA. You know what I did to get those grades? You know, how to pay for tuition, right? You know, and so that's the, I feel like that's the inherent process, right? If you're going to judge people by the same stick, that's assuming, you know, by the same measuring stick, that's assuming that they've all had the same experience, but yet you want them to be diverse. Like that doesn't match. Welcome to the Data Binge Podcast, a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on the human relationship with technology. Three, two, one, deploy. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Thank you for joining the discussion and I hope you and your families are healthy and well. Some quick updates before we get started. On September 30th at 9 a.m. PST, our Simply Tech live program will be featuring Elnaz Saraf, founder and CEO of Royby Robot. Royby Robot is an interactive language learning tutor for children three and older. Royby Robot was also featured in Time Magazine's 100 Best Inventions of 2019, as well as recognition for the 2019 World Changing Ideas by Fast Company. Elnaz was also included in the Silicon Valley Women of Influence by the Silicon Valley Business Journal in 2017 and recognized as a Female Entrepreneur of the Year by Women World Awards in 2017 as well. A very wonderful opportunity to hear from an amazing female leader in tech. You can get more updates by following our page at linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Simply Tech Live. And now for today's discussion. Today's episode features a dialogue with Kendra Crook, Senior MBA Prep Coach at Management Leadership for Tomorrow, or MLT. MLT is a nonprofit organization specifically focused on changing the face of leadership in the private and social sectors by driving breakthrough results for individuals and institutions. The rising leaders that MLT seeks to target and then develop are high-achieving Black, Latinx, and Native Americans, and this is accomplished through a portfolio of programs ranging from new-to-career prep early career MBA prep to the more senior career advancement programming. Just some quick numbers, 90% of MLT's undergraduates receive an offer for a high trajectory job, and 90% of MLT's MBA prep students get into a top 10 business school, so some significant impact we're looking at here. Currently, there are over 1,500 MLTers in high-impact roles in the tech industry, including Facebook, LinkedIn, Salesforce, and of course, Microsoft. To name a few, Corporate partners of MLT include Bain & Company, Nike, Amazon, Andreessen Horowitz, Capital One, Google, and the NFL. Kendra's work focused on the MBA prep work of the organization and through her 13-year tenure at MLT has impacted over 600 fellows of the program, myself included. To add more color, over 40% of Black and Latinx and Native American students at Harvard Business School, Wharton, Kellogg, and Columbia 
are ML tiers. Prior to MLT, Kendra spent the majority of her career in undergraduate and executive MBA admissions, marketing management, and communications at Columbia University, where she also now enjoys an undergrad BA degree. We talk a tremendous amount through the discussion on what the real problem is that MLT is seeking to solve and how this particular classic problem is evolving through MLT and its partner schools and partner organizations. We talk a lot about what most of Kendra's fellows really struggle with, the importance of community, confidence, and why overcoming adversity is a story that schools and employers must learn how to listen to. We also talk about how schools and employers should be better approaching the deficit of diverse talent and high trajectory career and academic pipelines, and why just doing it, just hiring, is something culturally significant to how these organizations build a future of more diverse leaders. This episode was captured via a live discussion on LinkedIn, and it was so incredibly inspiring and powerful to see some of the live engagement, which you will be a part of through this listen. And mostly it was inspiring for me to look at the live engagement and see faces that looked like mine, all with incredibly different backgrounds, true stories of grit and sacrifice, but all part of something larger. And most powerfully, real faces that now stand with MBAs from Harvard, Booth, Cornell, all fellows from MLT, who see the world from a wider aperture and seek to create a deeper impact for all. If you haven't already, please rate and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me create content that will challenge you and I both. Thank you for listening to this very special episode. And now I bring you Kendra Crook. Kendra, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you feeling today? Good. Excited to talk to you. Yeah, me too. So for folks tuning in and watching, thank you for joining today's discussion. Today we are talking to Kendra Crook, Senior MBA Prep Coach at Management Leadership for Tomorrow. Super <laughs> excited for this, Kendra. This is going to be awesome. Yes, I'm very excited. So it's been a long time since we chatted. We're actually, I'm, as, I'm actually asking you questions this time around. <laughs> The other way around. So. Oh, no. <laughs> it's it a little bit different. Uh, so, so can you describe, Kendra, what you do today and who Management Leadership for Tomorrow is? Sure. So about 17 years ago, uh, John Rice, who um, is our CEO and founder, um, was at Harvard Business School and realized, you know, saw how much or how little diversity there was in his classroom and decided to do it as one of his big projects and did an analysis of what is keeping, you know, African-American and Latinx and Native Americans from, from going to business school. And out of that came a plan to start a nonprofit organization called Management Leadership for Tomorrow. What started with the idea that diverse candidates needed help getting their applications together, understanding the process, needing the network, um, the encouragement to do it. And since that time, we've graduated you know, 17 classes of, of people who got coached either directly by John Rice or by people like myself on the application process. We've built that organization out. So now we uh, not just try to get people into business school, we understand there are key points in your career where you need to be doing smart things, right? You can't be a Starbucks barista out of college and expect to get into Harvard. You've got to have a good early internship. So we have a college program called Career Prep. 
once you finish your MBA, you're not done, right? You need to have the right coaching and connections and executive training to get you to our ultimate goal, which is diversify the corporate boardrooms of America. And so we have programs around, you know, senior leaders who have their MBAs and are coming back to get more training about how to navigate that next big move within their career. So we're an organization that focuses on changing the diversity or the landscape of corporate America by widening the diversity pipeline. And, and you, I mean, you, you have quite a bit of popularity, Kendra. There's some folks that are commenting in Emma Gutierrez says, she says, Kendra, exclamation <laughs> point, and, and Bernier, which I yeah. believe was in, in my class in 2015 yeah. under the fellowship says, go Derek and Kendra. Uh, <laughs> so, tre tremendous, tremendous love. I think, from the past fellows and alumni uh, for the program and, and for the coaches that helped us all through. And you've been with uh, Management Leadership for Tomorrow for 13 years. Yeah, yeah. You've point. impacted, your impact horizon has been well into the 600 range with yep. fellows. This is a hard job for you. Like, can you talk about like what you specifically do, like what that, that journey looks like with that fellow sure. and how you feel about that impact? So our program is about a year long. And I can tell you that every person enters our program at a different place. Some people come in and they're like, I'm going to business school and they're determined and they know exactly what they want. Other people are like, hey, I'm hearing about this MBA degree. I think it would help my career. I'm not really sure what I'm signing up for. Other people are saying, I started a career. I don't like where it's going. I need to shift. And you know, so the, the gut reaction is let's you need an MBA to do that change. Um, and so I, I often say in the beginning, my job is to kind of figure out where everybody is mentally about this you know, journey to go to business school and then coach them to that. And, and, and in those three scenarios I gave, that first person who's like, I'm going to business school, I know since I was a baby I was going to go, that person's going to have a moment just like everybody else where it's like, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Right. Or I'm not sure that I know what I'm getting myself into or, you know, and so as a coach, it's my job to be like, hey, let's go back to beginning. You said you wanted to go into this industry. You need an MBA to do that. Right. Um, and so the I'm so fortunate that the people that I've worked with have been really have really shared how they feel about this. Like there's, you know, the, the love that I, you know, you mentioned, I feel back to them because they share their personal stories. They tell me their goals and ambitions. They listen to what I say and say, all right, Kendra, I'm going to, you know, you, you, we've worked out this path. I'm going to get there. And so my job, I always say my final, you know, destination is the submit button. There's so few people who actually get to the submit button, who decide that the MBA is the right thing for them in the world. And that number gets way smaller when it comes to diversity candidates for a lot of reasons. You know, they don't necessarily have the context. Their parents weren't MBAs, right? Or they're so glad to finally have a financial job, you know, some stability in their life. They're like, why would I leave to go do this degree? Even if I know in the long term, it's better for me. So, you know, getting them to that submit button is my goal. But what I think we do well, which is different than sort of maybe other admissions consultants, is we're really listening to what your goals are, what your dreams are, what you, you know, probing. You know, you said about I ask you questions, right? Like you, you can't just give me an answer. I want to know why. I want to know how. I want to know what got you there. And that process makes them better students once they get to business. I mean, certainly better applicants and even better students when they get to campus. So it's, it's incredibly rewarding work. And when I think of 600 fellows, it sounds like a lot, you know, but I, 
I carry their stories with me all the time. You probably remember when I coach people, my most frequent phrase is, I had a fellow who, yeah. right? There's been somebody who's walked this step before you. Let me give them you know, you, the, the reference point. Let's, let's share their story. Let me introduce you to them. How many times do you get emails from people saying, Kendra Crook sent me to you, <laughs> right? Can we talk? Or even, you know, encouraging people to go out and talk to others. So it's like, I said, it's incredibly rewarding work, but I rem- it's, you spend a year with somebody and you see such transformation in their lives and their career trajectory and their families are so happy for them. You know, you can't help but be excited about it. And, and Emma, she mentioned she, she loves reminiscing on the self-discovery journey through the coaching process with you. And it really helped her land at Cornell for her MBA. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't, my journey, there's so much there that I have to thank MLT and, and you for personally. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just met with some friends over the weekend and the majority of my friends are from ethnic and, and Latinx and black backgrounds. And, you know, they're doing well in their own, in their own state today. And they literally just this weekend, we're like, you know, we thought you were an idiot for leaving <laughs> your job, <laughs> literally leaving your job and going to school. And they're like, man, who's, who's the idiot now? Right. You know, right. like they're so proud of where I'm at and it was, it, it it's hard and, and getting to that submit stage. I mean, yeah. that, there's so much there and I, right. I, we're going to dive into that, but love to learn a little bit more and express to folks that are listening and watching just to getting closer to the problem. Kendra, okay. you know, just yeah. some quick statistics on the website, you know, 33% of the country, black, Latinx, Native American, there's only 5% representation into these, these uh, executive type roles in the Fortune 500. Like, what, what is the problem to you? I think there's a, so there's a lot of problems, but I think the problem that we really target is we pick the MBA for a reason. Right. We're not saying just go to graduate school. Right. We're picking this specific degree because of the power that you have once that degree is in hand, the kind of change you can make. So then being able to target that and say, after this, you have so much power, you're ready to you know, change the world. Right. To come in at a senior level and fix things. So. I think there's a lot of people who don't have, like I said before, the context. They didn't grow up in MBA homes, right? Mm-hmm. One fellow said to me, you know, my mom is still mad at me because I didn't become a doctor, right? And I'm like, you know, well, why? Why did she want you to become a doctor? Well, you go to graduate school to become a doctor. When you're done, you have an MBA. You know, MD. When you when you go to law school, you have a JD. When you go to an MBA, you know, you go to business school. What do you have? What are you? Right. What's the, the new noun you are? And so without that context, they can't they can't really, you know, sort of envision themselves there. Like you said, your friends thought you were crazy. And so that's the I feel like the number one problem is making people understand the power of the degree. Right. What it can do for you, your family, your community and, and making sure that nothing gets in your way to that. Right. You know, because unlike MBA, you know, unlike law school or med school, if you don't get a law degree or a medical degree, they're not letting you go, go to patients. Right. Oh, I want to be a doctor. But it, you can kind of work your way up in a chain without an MBA. But what our premise is, is that that degree springboards you so much further along in your career. There's a recognition there. There's a training there that that then makes you an agent of power. And that's that's why we want more of them. We want that multiplier effect. So kind of going through the application process to, to be mm-hmm. um, invited into the MBA prep fellowship. 
Right. That's a process. You have yeah. to take the GMAT <laughs> exam. You have to have, a, a, at the time, it was a fi- a, at least a, a, a score 500. of 500, yeah. um, which is pretty significant, I think, uh, when you yeah. look at the statistics and, and yeah. how African Americans and Latinx folks actually score. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think over 66 uh, percent just from uh, test year 2018 uh, uh, information from the GMAC, I think over 64 percent of African-American candidates uh, scored less than 500. Yeah. So yeah. You, yeah. You, you don't you can't even, you know, come to the table if mentally you don't have what it takes and you, right. the metrics aren't there. But there's 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 programmatic ways to approach that later. Right. Um it's a, it's a tough process. How have you seen fellows, you know, over the course of your 13 year time period here, how have you seen them change in terms of the new classes coming in, mm-hmm. uh, their equipped mindset? Has there been change or evolutions there? Right. Well, there's been a lot. That's, so a lot that's changed. They're interested in industries that didn't exist. 13 years ago. I mean, that's one of the great benefits of my job is I get to learn about industries I wouldn't have access to before. So there, and and I'm talking about things that are not, hey, I, I figured out a way to make a lot of money, but I figured out a way how to change my community, right? I want to be involved in fintech. I want to serve the unbanked, right? I want to, I want to have real estate development, you know, in, in different geographies, you know, things like that. So there, that's a big change. I think the second part of it is that, well, I'll say that parents, family structure, support system, even you you referenced your friends before, I think there's a little bit more of an acknowledgement that this degree is worthwhile, or they've heard of some of these schools that they're going after. So that's changed a bit. And I think fellows, the ones who don't have that, like their parents are like, why are you quitting this job? I, I just had a fellow who took the GMAT over the weekend. And she like couldn't let her parents drive her to the test because the whole way to the test, they're like, why are you putting yourself through this stress, right? Why, why, this is is not good for you. And when she did better and she was excited about it, but she knew she had to take the test again, she came home and her family's like, you're not done yet, right? Like they they don't have a concept. So she found network in our fellows, right? That's another thing I think about how my coaching has changed over the years, right? When I started this, I knew physically how to get you to the submit button, but now I have 600 fellows. Like I said, I'm like, hey, go talk to Derek. He's done this before, or he has a, a similar personal background that you have. And so they're very ready and willing and able to do that. And that's a whole nother level of support system to get them through this. And I think that they're more solid on what they want. You know, they're open to the experience. They've heard from other fellows, like, listen, it's not so much listen to Kendra do what she says, which is you know, always sweet when you hear that, but it's more, I never would have even known about this industry, right? Or I thought consulting was something totally different. And now I've really talked to people who've done it. And now I can imagine myself there, right? They're, they're open to those conversations where in those early years, I feel like they were kind of still doing it on their own. You know, they were in the, their homes working with me and it wasn't really reaching out across, but we've really built this, this wonderful network. As I like to say, you know, I can't wait for our MLTers, you know, to run the world because it's going to be a much better place. And I, I think what folks don't understand too, as they apply into the program and, and for organizations that would like to sponsor or like to get involved mm-hmm. in just in solving this problem is that once once you start getting these minds together, like at that at that point, I remember 
you know, Ian Connell, which we did a, a yeah. podcast a couple episodes ago, and he we raved about you for the a majority of the, of the podcast, which we weren't <laughs> planning to do. It just organically happened. And he kind of inspired me to mm-hmm. just start looking at MLT. Right. And we were just, you know, friends in the gym and he had aspirations I really didn't understand and couldn't conceptualize. And there's these small groups of people, there's very small populations in mm-hmm. the population that we're talking about that yeah. have those kind of endeavors and ambitions. And they don't have support groups, like you're saying, that typically stand those kind of endeavors up. Mm-hmm. But when you join the program, you're immediately immersed into a grouping of people that are just like you, that have right. endeavors, that have dreams and ambitions and driven. Maybe everything isn't perfectly lined out, but they have a belief. Mm-hmm. And being around those people, it's so invigorating and inspirational. Mm-hmm. And it it demands that you put more into it. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's a crazy feeling. Yeah. I remember one of the first kickoff seminars, part of our program for those who weren't familiar is in addition to the coaching with me and the formal curriculum you're going through three times a year, you get together with the MLTers who are in this process with you. Um, and there's a lot of programming and, you know, panels and, you know, good information given to you in- interaction with the schools that you're hoping to apply to. But the number one takeaway that we hear year after year on the surveys is like, wow, look at who I'm part of now. Look at this network. Look at this family. You know, some of the we've been teasing called the MLT mafia. Right? <laughs> like we're working together to get this done. Um, but I, re- I remember I think it was my second kickoff seminar um, where a woman stood up and she said at the end we do you know reflections. And she said, this is the first time I have been in a room with 300 high achieving minority people. And she just started crying, you know, and she's like, I'm going to go back to an all white office on Monday morning. I'm going to go back to even my neighborhood. You know, the high achieving part isn't there. And and she was from Texas. I can't remember what town, but you know, she said, I see, I can't get that crossover, you know, and I can't get that. And she said, and I spent a weekend with you people. And they said, and every one of you was willing to help me, was willing to share your resources. And she wasn't alone. I've heard a similar theme year after year. And, you know, and I have, I get emails all the time. Like, even if I don't get into school, this network, these people that are in my life now and believe I can achieve these grandiose plans to change the world, like that's that's enough for me. Of course, I'm always like, no, no, you're still going to school. <laughs> but, but, but those that extra piece that just carries you through GMAT studying, right? Carries you through late nights of essay writing or self-doubt about this path. And, and Bernier just commented, the community is amazing and so empowering. It pushed him to reach his potential and definitely a highlight for him. Yeah. And I mean, I got to say, Bernie, as, as you're listening to this, I'm looking at the folks that are attending and it's very representative yeah. of the world that we live in, you know, yeah. not just the income level or whatever the yeah. corporate level that we're at. It's the world that we're living in. And it's empowering to even be on this call with you, Kendra, and to have this kind of audience listening in. Yeah. And those are the things that I think the ancillary items that come along, the value that comes along with this yeah. entire process. Yeah. Um, so when you kind of drill down into the fellow, they're coming in, they have this first call with you. You're yeah. a bit of an intimidating person I just because you're <laughs> Coach Kendra is intimidating. That's just like, <laughs> but it, I loved that. 
because my my mom was a little bit more of like a drill instructor type of personality very very strong woman and she was a little scary for me and i those kind of personalities work really well for me because i (laughs) i want to get value out of it so when the when the fellow comes in and they meet you and what's the transition look like from when they come in and they meet you for the first time and then they're leaving the program like what do you see in that transition So I joke about this idea of being intimidating because I've certainly heard it over the years because I do my calls by phone. So you can't see me 95% of the time I'm being ear to ear, right? And and and, And I'm so excited to have this really interesting conversation with you. All that intimidation comes from love. I'd rather I ask you a question and you don't know the answer than six months from now an admissions officer asks you and you don't know the answer, right? So yeah. um, but they they come in um and that that transition, like and one of the things I don't think I did it with your class that I do now is I now share the notes from our MBA prep application, where you referred to that before, right? So yeah. as in any good admissions committee, there's nobody that you read and you're like, yep, admitted, right? Or nope, denied, you know, there's always a discussion. This person does this well, they have this strength going for them. And we keep notes and we debate, you know, who gets admitted. And I share those notes now with my fellow and say, listen, this is what when you put your application together on your own this is what came through to an admissions committee, right? We all have admissions backgrounds at business school. And so, you know, I'll say like, we're worried about this leader, your leadership's not coming through. And they're like, my leadership's not coming through. And I'm like, no, it's not, you know, well, I'm the head of this organization. I do this. And I'm, I'm like, did you tell anybody? Right? Like that's, that really come that first, like, what did you do on your own? That assessment of where you either omitted things and that's to be honest, more often what happens, but also what you could bolster, right? Or you need to fix, I hate that phrase, but you know, you gotta take a GMAT again, you gotta take a course, whatever the case is. So that's the first conversation where I kind of feel like this is the bar, like that's an MLT philosophy. This is the bar, this is where you have to get to. This is where we thought you were. Now these things are all fixable, let's get to work, right? And everybody's is different. Right. Some people, they're still struggling with the test when they come in. Some people, they're trying to figure out what they want to do. So I always say from March, which is when we usually have our first coach call to September, it's a, what I'm doing is a combination of teaching the process, right? What do you need to do? What do you need to present to, to the schools, right? Self-reflection and meeting them where they are. And, you know, you know, some people I give a kick in the butt and some people I'm cheering loudly from the sidelines because that's what they need. And then when we get to September, which is when the applications happen, that's when I really feel like I'm coaching, right? So that's when we take what you've learned and what you've achieved in that point and say, okay, this is your profile. Now let's get it done, right? Let's figure out how to get all the application together. Um, but the thing that I've heard, and, and uh, I'm thinking of a fellow specifically who said that on the first coach call with me, he said, Kendra, I'll do whatever you say, but for three years in a row on New Year's Eve, I've made the resolution of applying to business school this year and I've never gotten to the submit button. That's all I need to do. Get me the submit button. And there were many times because of his work life and family commitments, you know, he, he stepped away from it in those three years. But with an MLT, he's like, I knew you were looking for my phone call. I needed an assignment. There's a discipline to this. You've got to get things done. And, you know, that's a huge piece of this. You're not doing it by yourself. You're doing it with some accountability to a program that's invested in you. And, you know, that's what, why we're successful because we get so many people to that final destination. And the process of the final destination, specifically for MBA prep, I mean, the, we have assignments. 
Yeah. There's, I mean, it's, it's work. There's like it's 30 assignments. It's not do it in a weekend assignment. It's call people, talk to yeah. people, research what you want to do in your career. It's the test, you know, um, by the way, any people considering applying to the program, going to business school, get that GMAT done or the GRE done now, right? It's a very different experience for you to have that test done, have a competitive score when you join MBA prep. But there's a lot of work that has to be done. And you can't just say, oh, it's due Monday. I got to start working on it Thursday. It takes a whole month. And it's iterative, right? So if you do a lousy kind of wishy-washy job in month one or assignment one, it, you can't just say, oh, I'll, I'll do better in assignment two. You're now on a wishy-washy kind of weak foundation. You got to catch up. You got to do the work. There's not, There's no skimping. Right. And that's how, you know, a lot of people, you know, they're better prepared for when they get to that first day of school. Right. Because they've done all that work in advance. And that's part of the goal, too. We want successful MBAs. I mean, I can totally comment on that because from the time that you start taking the GMAT, I started six months or so before I applied to to MBA prep. Mm -hmm. But from the time that you start doing the the GMAT and then you're immersed in this crazy accelerator, you're working full time. I was still taking the studying for the test, which is a nightmare. I was then I was doing the assignments that you were giving us and going on the coach calls and there's seminars and you're traveling. You're doing all this and then you get what you wish for. You get admitted to business school and then, you know, or you get on a waiting list and then, or you're still taking the exam for some folks. So you're, and then you get into business, you're trying to save money because this thing is going to be expensive. And then you get into business school and you're just, it's crazy for two years. You're trying to get a job or at first internship, then a job. It's the whole process. You just change. You just become a completely different human being that propels you and, and helps you for what you're you're going to be doing when you get out into, into yeah. corporate corporate world. Yeah. Um, I had a former fellow who said he on his first day or first month in school, he felt like he was drowning, you know, because there's so much to do, so much going on. Yeah. It wasn't a bad feeling like I'm going to wash out, but whoa, what did I sign myself up for? And another non-MLT student walked up to him and said, how do you have it so together? Right. And he was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, you're able to handle this. He's like, this is freaking, you know, there's so much work. And he was like, well, I did MLT. So think of it as I had my career and a part-time job last year. So yeah, there's a lot of work in business school, but I've been kind of prepping for even the volume of work by doing the MLT experience, you know, which I I always think of him when people say to me like, oh, so glad I got into school. Now I can rest. No, 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 no. (laughs) Right. It gets bigger after that. I have been working on weekends since I started setting for the gym. It never went away. Yeah. Like, and maybe I'm not working on like work, Microsoft work on weekends, but I'm doing some kind of self-reflection. I'm assessing my, it's, you, it doesn't go away. Yeah. Like it, it's, and that's, I'm really the most amazing thing that I've anchored onto that that entire process doesn't go away. It keeps with you. Yeah. So when organizations and academia is looking to hire, develop, bring on, what is wrong with that process today, do you think? Or inherent inherent things that are focus points that these organizations need to, to work on for addressing our problem that we're talking about today? You're, you're talking school specifically. Yeah. yeah. Schools, and I think it's something, yeah, schools, maybe we can start there. Then 
you know, how it how it levels up into how employers are kind yeah. of. So, so here's the, 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 the crux of the problem. If you can go to any business school website right now, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't matter their ranking, and they're going to talk about how diverse their class is. They don't mean ethnic diversity necessarily, right? They mean diverse perspectives, different industries, right? Like that they, they brag about that, right? That's a, that's their core principle. And each school, you know, you know, uh, articulates it a little bit differently, but then the process to get into that school is so uniform. We're measuring people by the same measuring stick, not taking into account all the other pieces of them, right? So it's, it's like, make yourself fit into this mold, this GMAT score, this GPA, the certain university, the certain industries that are typical MBA pass. And then when you get here, then share your experience, right? So if you're going to change how, you know, the numbers of representation in business school or even really fully embody that value of diversity, then your, your admissions process has to reflect that. You have to ask people their personal stories and actually listen to it, right? You can't say in committee, oh, I love this candidate. They're great. They have all this, ugh, that GPA is a 3.0, Right. Or that GMAT is or the GRE is lower than we want. But that, let's go, you know, using the 3.0 example for the GMAT. Oh, but this person worked three jobs because they were providing for their family or they didn't have tuition. They're not a trust fund baby. Right. Or, you know, then you have to look at that and say, if I'm going to value that experience, I have to value what that data point is on their, in their application. I have people who I'll say, listen, your GPA is a little outside the ranges of, you know, the schools you're looking at. And they're like, Kendra, I'm damn proud of that GPA. You know what I did to get those grades? You know, I have, to pay for tuition, right? You know, and so that's the, I feel like that's the inherent process, right? If you're going to judge people by the same stick, that's assuming, you know, by the same measuring stick, that's assuming that they've all had the same experience, but yet you want them to be diverse. Like that doesn't match. So, you know, and, and we've seen it. There have been schools that have changed their application to add in additional, like an optional essay where they say, give us more about your personal background. Tell us more. Um, and so they've gotten, you know, fellows react to that and say, hey, this school's actually listening to me, right? It doesn't always play out in the decision, but I think it's better, right? And, and just the, when, you, when you're talking about GPAs, just some quick, this is, again, some, some data from, from GMAC. 15% of African, and this is focused on African Americans, just because of, this is kind of where I was doing yeah. the majority of my research. Uh, 15% report GPA above 3.6. That looks like 36% for non-underrepresented groups. Mm-hmm. So, and then we, we talked again about, you know, 64% of that community getting less than a 500 on the GMAT. So you have these metrics, these criteria for getting into these schools where right off the bat, the, the population Oh, halves more yeah. than half in some of these cases yeah. and just personally and I'll, you know i'm an open book people can talk to me about this stuff all the time i had a 600 for my gmat you had a I 610 you had a 610 i was remember that for the rest of my life you had a 610 go ahead <laughs> i studied for 18 months mm-hmm. i paid tutors i had a gpa an undergrad gpa of I don't know if it's <laughs> 2.65. So I had people look at me and say, do you really want to do that? Like you are not, you don't have the metrics. You're not there, but that grit. And I think that desire 
and having people like yourself, people in the program believing and, and there's an openness to, to that kind of culture of accepting people that really have that desire to do, th do things. I think the uh, quick story, the, the, my tutor at target test prep, I think you guys had a partnership with yeah. target test prep at the time. He knew Wendy Weiss. I'm not sure if Wendy's still there. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, almost crying to this guy, like, man, how am I going to, I can't improve my GMAT anymore. I've been studying for 18 months. Like it's, this is it that I have yeah. one month left. What can I do? And he's like, maybe you should email Wendy. I know her well, just here's her email address. Don't tell her who gave it to you. <laughs> so I email her and I, I write, I wrote it, wrote up this white paper. Why me for you, uh, for MLT and just put so much work into it. I got into the program. I think I was waitlisted and then I got in yeah. and then I ended up, you know, buying Wendy a beer <laughs> at the end of the process. But like, that is a microcosm of the problem. Like, like that, like your, your organization knows how to deal with that problem. So they were inviting people that were willing to move past it. But when you yeah. think about these big universities, like how do they change that fundamentally? I think they have to look at their own successes. So, you know, you went to Texas, right? I still talk when we were at Texas last spring, somebody walked up to me, one of the admissions officers, you know, and said, Hey, Derek Russell is yours. Right. And I was like, yeah, Oh, we love Derek. Blah, blah, blah. And I resisted saying, well, you were, you had a little hesitation, you know, like he was on the wait list and worked himself off. Right. You know, I, I wanted to like, kind of, <laughs> remind him of that. But oh, yeah. Derek did this when he was here. Derek did that. So I want to say to them the next time they're in that committee room and there's somebody with a 610 and a two, whatever it was, you know, GBA, that they go, is this our next Derek Russell? Right. I want them to remember the successes of, of the time they took a chance. You're not a unit. I mean, you are a unicorn and, and like you're wonderful and all that. But there are a lot of you out there with that profile Just that aren't like, getting the attention. Yeah. You know, I even I love, you know, and I, I the studies around the GMAT when they say it is a predictor of success in business school. Right. You know, that's why we're keeping it. The GMAT is a, is a good indicator. I'm like, I call BS because how many people never go to business school because the GMAT was a barrier. They're not in so your number, many. right? And th there are a lot of people that have GPAs out or, or GMATs outside of the range for that school that would have done great there, right? And would have done, you know, how many of the MLTers that I've coached over the years have been the graduation speaker, the class president at these business schools? They're not hanging in the corners. Oh, I'm so grateful I got admitted, right? They're in there doing great things and they're who you want in your classrooms. So that's my frustration with it is, yeah, it's a good indicator, but you're, you're in what you're measuring, but like there's a whole population of people out there who it's keeping them out either for their own self, you know, filtering or because you can't look past that number. And that, and that tells me, I, you know, you know, I get very up on the GMAT and, and, and want to make sure, like I always say, if, when the protests start to, to end the GMAT, I'm at the front of the line because there's just so many people who are like, Kendra, I shouldn't even apply to this school, you know, because my GMAT's not where it is or it should be. And I'm like, you got to, you won't get in if you don't apply that I guarantee, but you should apply. And, you know, we are successful in sharing most times. Yeah. I mean, the, the GMAT is, I, I have, that's why I keep my hair, my hair low. Cause I don't have any hair left <laughs> <laughs> because of that exam. Uh, so Taju, uh, who actually went to Texas with me and I believe he was in the MLT program. I don't, not sure if he was, a uh, in your, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, he says great stuff. Uh, Emma's commenting in Pamela Burga says, yes, coach, coach Kendra. 
Bernie, Bernie commented. I think Bernie went to, I think you yeah. went to ABS. GMAT struggle was real. Yeah. So you have some folks uh, really commiserating. So I'd love to talk more about like this person, right? This persona of this underrepresented um, mm -hmm. fellow coming in and their confidence in themselves. Yeah. Because that, I can speak to that very specifically. Can you talk a little bit more about what that confidence looks like and why it's so damaging? Yeah. Um, their belief in themselves. Why is that so damaging to the process? Yeah. So I will say every fellow I've ever coached, there has been some point in our conversation where I had to tell them they could do it. They can get into the school they want to get into. It's great to have the data over the years. You know, MLT has an acceptance rate, you know, in, in the top 20 business schools of 98%, right? You know, so I can rely on that and say, we're doing something right. You know, there, there's there's good yeah. things going on here. But the number of fellows who just don't, you know, don't have the belief, right? You know, they have a moment where they, if they were by themselves, they would walk away from the process. And that's where getting to know them individually really helps, right? You know, and so I remember conversations with you where I was like, listen, you're an athlete. You know how to train. That's all we're doing is training for for, for, for game day, right? Or for, for show day. And, you know, being able to relate this to them. You know, I had, I had one fellow who talked about how much she wanted, you know, how many people in her life had really helped her with her education, you know, Show, you know, told her about a boarding school that she could get into or a better chance program or, and got her, helped her get into college or, you know, what the professors at school who said, Hey, you can do this. And she's like, I'm just not doing it. And I was like, yeah, but what are you going to tell those people? Mm -hmm. I just didn't do it. I just never got to it. I never applied. Right. So there, I feel like in some, to some degree, like I am their conscience in a good way. Right. Like just that voice in their side of the head said, you said you wanted this. Let's get there. Let's, you know, one step at a time. Right. And that's, again, I think a big part of this program. There aren't other, you know, there's other admissions consultants you could hire, right. You know, when they charge a lot and, you know, they're happy to, to, to work with you, but I don't think that they all have that personal connection of doing a formed curriculum where we ask you tough questions. What are you passionate about? What's the fuel behind that passion? What's the juice? What are the gifts that you have? What's your personal story? Right. And somebody who is committed, I, you know, you probably, I, I hope you remember, but how excited I was when you got it accepted to school. Right. Yes. And, yes. And, and I was, I recall there was an engagement was right around that same time. For, yes. Right? Yes. And, I, and yeah. I'm excited for the engagement, but way more excited for business school. Right. Yeah. And my kids, you know, who have grown up with me doing this, my son was an infant when I started coaching MBA prep, like they see me dancing in the kitchen. They're like, GMAT or admitted. Right? Like they know that I'm just so excited for them. And they are as well because they hear your stories and they get to know it through there. So it's, I feel like there's that commitment. So if for whatever reason you can't do MBA prep or, you know, it's, it's, you're kind of pulling things together, you know, now to apply this year and it's too late for this year for us, you'll find those people in your life. who are going to remind you while you're doing it. Right. And what they, what you can commit to, because that's, that's a huge differentiator, especially in the minority the university community. I sp very specifically remember going into a tech panel 
uh, at, at UT McCombs in Austin. And there were, uh, I don't know, five people up in the tech panel. They were, they, I, I believe they were second years. I was a first year incoming uh, MBA student. And there was someone from that had interned at Adobe, all, all folks that had gotten full-time offers, by the way, for, for the, the next yeah. year. It was like Adobe, I think it was Amazon, it was VMware, all tech. And then finally, it was a, a woman from Microsoft. And I just literally remember sitting in that chair and thinking to myself, like, what? Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> that, that, and I specifically, I remember it resonating on Microsoft because that, to me, seemed like the biggest like there's no way that i could even be in the room with this with this woman yeah. like she must be freaking brilliant like just i'm yeah. not on her level i don't belong here it was a terrible and i had that feeling for months if not at least a court from that specific session yeah. like i'm in the room with people who work for microsoft and now here i am right working at microsoft so yeah. it's like that mindset is so critical and i don't know what helped me through that? I think it was the school. I think yeah. it, I was in the consortium. So the consortium is yeah. another program that helps these underrepresented groups kind of move along. And and having those people around me that looked like me, that thought like me, that came from similar backgrounds, who had the scrappiness. Emma mentioned yeah. scrappiness. I forgot about that word. That community really helped me. Yeah, um, I think I hear that a lot. I you know I do keep in touch with my former fellows, and you know I have people who are like Kendra. This is you know. Every day I'm worried about, it. I had one woman, she was a rock star at fellow, right? She had great undergrad, great career. She literally like kicked her roommates out of their apartment on nights that she had coach calls. So there was no chance that she was going to be interrupted. And she printed out, you know, she was just on top of everything. She got into every school that she applied to. And when she, you know, I reached out to her at Thanksgiving when she'd started off to school, she's like, Kendra, I don't think I can do this. I'm like, oh no, no, you are a rock star. You deserve to be in that room more than probably 95% of the people in there. Like I have no doubt. I, you know, and she's like, I have a lot of doubt. And she ended up like pulling a community together at her school of other people who felt that way and just kind of worked through it. And I was like, I, I don't care if I have to email you every week to tell you, you are a rock star. You deserve to be in that room. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, I've been, you know, I've seen those rooms. I've been in those conversations. You deserve to be there. But th that's why it's so even, you know, for you who you maybe thought, well, I don't deserve, like how does, like, I, that's a huge thing I'd love to eradicate, you know, in the thinking of fellows. And I think the only way I'm able to do that is to connect you guys together, you know, and, and say, let's find, you know, let you need to talk to so-and-so. And, and I think that helps. And, and also, I think part of the reason you were successful and able to get past that was you picked a school that was right for you yeah right a school that culturally matched who you are it was you know it's not based on ranking right it's not you know it's it's based on the fact like they have the structures the coursework the support the the culture that i need to get me where i'm gonna go right and and so you you're not sitting there going wait a minute you know i'm all by myself Right. I think that's a huge piece of what we do for our, our fellows. It's not about all getting you into a top one school. Right. It's about finding the right school for you and being very excited for you and, and being committed to helping you at that school. I think that's a huge. Piece. I remember telling you that I was or maybe maybe you suggested 
Austin. I kind of yeah. mentioned it as like yeah. a, hey, I heard about this place called Austin. I'm <laughs> from California. I haven't traveled much. It's so ignorant. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I should like, is it, maybe I should check it out. And you're like, you kind of flipped out and you're like, Austin's amazing. Like the music's <laughs> incredible. They have great food. The school's great. There's a tech hub there. Yeah. And I just remember this twinkle in my eye. Like it felt special all of a sudden. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's where we concentrated yeah. our efforts on. Yeah. Um, and, and that was just a beautiful process. So I'm thinking about employer hiring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just because this year has been a very tough year for a lot of different communities. And a lot of employers, especially in big tech and, and others, are trying to figure out how to fix this hiring problem. How do they bring on more diverse talent, more women, mm -hmm. more Latinx? or black, like, what does that look like? And you, you mentioned something to me on our, on our prep call for this discussion. And it was like a freaking light bulb going off. <laughs> can you, can you remember what you said? You talked about what these yeah. companies just need to do. Just do it. Stop, stop overthinking this process. Stop, stop, you know, talking yourselves out of it. St be, be, you know, a maverick and a, but like, be the one who says, no, I want that person. And you don't need 17 people to be like, yeah, yeah, good choice. Good choice. Right. Like be the one when you see something special, I'm actually reading um, Barack Obama's first book dreams from my father. Yes. And it's, it's kind of fun to read it knowing how it ends. Right. Cause he wrote it when he was a senator elect. And one of the things that I was struck me because we both went to Columbia is when he talked about his trying to find a job after Columbia, the man applied to something like 40 different companies in New York City and got one job offer. Right. So tell me that those 39 other companies weren't missing out on something brilliant. Right now, why weren't they willing to take the the jump for him? You know why? You know he's obviously smart. He obviously came from a you know a good school, had a great education. Right, all these other things, but interpersonal you know skills up and down. Like they missed out. So whatever your process was, your thirty nine other schools, it didn't work. You missed out on a great candidate. And I can tell you, every you know company they they're almost overthinking it. Right. One of the things, too, I think is interesting. We talked a little bit on our call was so many of these companies are trying to find the perfect person that's going to be there for the next 20 years. Nobody works like that anymore. I need the per I need you to hire the person who brings the right energy, the right intelligence, the right the backbone to tell you when you're doing something wrong. Right. And when people say, oh, I don't know, you know, like, well, you know, we, we might have to give them more resources or they might not fit in here. I'm like, so do it. Right. Find those people. Give them the resources. But I always think of like my thing is like people say, oh, those programs are costly. Or I'm like, you know how much it costs to have a Kardashian in a commercial that bombed? Right. Let's yeah. take that money and just hire people who would have said this is a really bad idea. Right. You want to, you know, that diverse voice, have those people in the room. Like just, I, I know it sounds simple, right? Just do it. Just hire them. What's the worst case scenario? They stay there for two years and move on to someplace else and you hire somebody else. But you gave somebody a shot. And, and I, I just really like that, Kendra, because even for me and being involved in all these diversity programs for the last, you know, five years or whatever, and my background, all my, it, it's hard to just say to yourself, I need to give this person a shot. Like yeah. you just have to really inherently pull that into yourself and your ethos. And ever since our call, which I think was maybe two, three weeks ago, I've been thinking about that. And I've even talked to 
uh, talked about it with my manager and others. Like, looks like we just we just need to do it. We just need to hire someone. Yeah. Oh, they don't have tech experience. I didn't have tech experience. Right. <laughs> you know, they didn't have it. Right. I, I didn't have that. You know, she she doesn't have this. Well, she doesn't. It it's just it's it. You can't. That's not a good way to think. Well, um, but, right. And and I also say you're looking. You're missing out on the possibilities of that person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And diversity works. Every company, there's a there's a great book written by Claire Shipman. She was an alum with me called Womenomics. Right. And it she does it. She was the CBS reporter for years. And she did a huge study about how companies that hire more women over do better long, you know, long-term studies on the stock market. If you have more women in your senior leadership, you do better long-term growth. Right. And it's because we work differently. We have different approaches. We we are you know tend to be more collaborative, right? There's good, possible, wonderful things that come out of that, right? And the the science of the math is there to prove that. And I would say that also, you know, it's you don't know. You, I always think about like, well, will they fit with us, right? Is is always the question that you know the, the corporate hire, you know, the committee is trying to figure. Will they fit with us? I want to ask: Are they going to change you? Is this person you're considering going to just do exactly what you want them to do, or are they going to make you better? Are they going to make your, your your department better, your group better? Are they going to change you? I Listen, I am the whitest woman in America, right? I am a direct descendant from Mayflower, right? I have been utterly, utterly changed by my work with MLT. Now, did I start off by saying, I want to go find a diversity organization, right? And and I want to help them get into business school. As liberal as I am, that was not how I got here. But I have let all of you change me in such dramatic ways. I see things that happen in the news and I ball. And my neighbors next to me are like, uh, okay, but that was in Minnesota or that was, you know, Kenosha, right? Like, and I'm like, no. And, and let me tell you, for all the people out there, Anybody comes after one of my MLT fellows, you're not going to rewrite them about how they were, oh, well, they were violent or they're this. I have their essays. I have their assignments of every fellow I've ever worked with. And I'm going to be on the news nationally talking about who this person really was because you're all people to me, but you're, you're people that have changed me and made me so much more appreciative of, you know, what we can achieve right, going forward. These industries that, like, for example, I was actually prepping for this call. One of my former fellows just started the HBS Black Investment Club because he oh, was cool. trying right, is trying to fight the resistance. He was like, I'm at HBS and people, my friends who are so talented and so qualified are not getting into VCs and private equity. How is that possible? Right. He managed to get in and he's like, you know, he's not only opening the door, he's changing the structure. He's creating the subway, you know, the, the system for them, you know, and we have to look beyond just, you know, that one story. One of my fellows was did the McKinsey analysis of how African-Americans are being affected by coronavirus. Right. Like that's mm-hmm. we need more people who are smart, educated, scrappy, you know, going in and changing what came before them. Even one of my fellows was the person who did the name pronunciation on LinkedIn. If you've seen that new feature, I saw, I saw that. I'm going to try to have him on the uh, the podcast for oh, sure. Tell Joseph I you, I sent you yes, but that was something that he talked about as an MLT or not that specific feature. But like, why is it that hard? And you know what? When you read his interviews, if when you're prepping for it, you'll see he says, "I walked into a boss and said, this is something that's always kind of bugged me." Can I can I do this? Can I make this? Like, you know, give me a couple of weeks, a couple of months, whatever it was. 
let me see if I can roll. And LinkedIn, do you see the press about it? People are talking about it. It's on Twitter, right? Right. It was, and as they said, it wasn't that hard. You know, he's in his interviews. He's like, it's not that hard. (laughs) But, but, but how inclusive did that just make LinkedIn? Yeah. I I got on a call with someone from blacks at Microsoft group. We're doing a, a BAM it's called BAM podcast series about learning more about what BAM is. It's an employer resource group. And I couldn't pronounce her name. I, I, it, I think it was Elisa. And I immediately went to LinkedIn to look at the pronunciation bar. She hadn't stood it up yet on her account. And then I went back and I'm like, hey, I just, hey, I don't know how to pronounce your name. I just went to LinkedIn and you don't have your, your profile set up to show it. And she kind of laughed and said, I need to get on that right now yeah yeah and that's that's true of you know so many of the things that you know that, that are easy enough to fix my first thing on my coach call you asked about a coach in you know, my first coach call half of my fellows i'm like all right i'm gonna start off with an embarrassing question for me how do you pronounce your name right and and you know because some of these names are you know much longer they're like oh call me this i'm like no no what's your name right like yeah. i want to know how to do it and i have to put a little pronunciation guide for myself in my notes so that i can do it you know because i can't brag about you if i can't say your name right so that's <laughs> absolutely you. so kendra how do we and i know we only have about seven minutes left but how do we scale what you're doing and what mlt is doing how do we make it bigger <laughs> well I'm going to, it's just about, well, there's two ways, two ways. One one is how you and your, my former fellows out there can do it is you need to walk up to that African-American, Latinx, Native American in your company who you feel impressed by, or you had a moment of like, wow, they get it. They know what they're doing. And you need to walk up to them and say, have you thought about your MBA? Right. And you need to talk to them about what it did for you. And you need to, to tell them what that degree does. Right. So even th- as much as I want them all to come through MLT, right, I just need more, right, more volume. And so but what would be, you know, you talked about Ian, you know, telling you about it at the gym. But what would be 10 times more impactful is somebody who's a manager, a director, a, you know, a VP coming up to you and saying, hey, yeah, I just read that report you did, or I just heard that presentation you gave. Have you thought about your MBA? You know, and and so that's where we, you know, you're planting the seed, getting that going. And then, you know, we at MLT, you know, you mentioned the 500 GMAT, and I wanted to be like, I would, I, I don't want a barrier to even get into us, but we have limited resources, right? Yeah. And so we have to pick people who are, you know, serious about this. And that's really what that GMAT score is. We're not judging you on that GMAT score, but we're yeah. saying, are you serious enough about this MBA journey to, you know, take the test in a, ahead of time, not just a practice test. Cause you can do that, you know, in your pajamas, and it's not a big deal, but like an actual study hit a minimum. Yeah. Right. And, and I have to tell you, I have many people that have 500s when they come to me. Right. Or, you know, 520 or something like that. Um, and they're like, that's, my, that's not me. <laughs> like, you, you can keep working on it and you can improve that in a year. So I think there's also about resources. You know, I have a couple of fellows that every year on their birthday, they do the Facebook birthday campaign for MLT. Right. Even looking at it and saying, you know, hey, business school, let's, you know, you're an alum. Right. How many people did you admit last year that were in these populations? What can I do to get them? You know, are you is it a lack of conversion? Like they're admitted but not coming. Right. Can I help with that? 
And then I think it's just like I said, sometimes it's just a money problem, right? You get to hire coaches to hire that the, those resources. You know, we, we would love to have you know a fleet of coaches. When I started, there were four full-time coaches and now we're up to eight, which, which is great, except that's 13 years. Yeah. And I, I say to to John Rice, I used to tease him and say that the reason he started MLT was so he'd have the most powerful Rolodex in the world. Right. You know, cause all these people are eventually going to be up there and feel like they know him and want to help him. But we had a conversation. I'm like, I want a thousand people in this program, not 300 every year. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and that happens slowly, unfortunately. And Ryan Swanstrom, he he commented in, he's a, a kind of a connection of mine, finding the right school for you. He really enjoyed your comments around culture and finding the mm-hmm. specific right school. So towards the end of the call, do you have a piece of advice for these populations that MLT targets that you can kind of give to them as kind of a lasting word for, for getting them motivated and getting them confident in, in yeah. the future. So, so I think the number one step and you know, I'm a coach, right? So it all comes in action, right? It's, you know, the number one step is don't just use the context, you know, when you dream about what you're going to do, right. And, and fix and approach, right. So how many people come to me and say, I want to start a nonprofit because nonprofits were really helpful to me and my family, you know, when I was growing up great. Um, there, you know, that's a wonderful way to go. But when I push them back and say, well, do you, you know, do, is there more, do we need more mo- nonprofits or do we need systemic change in how our education system works, right? Or impact investing, right? Can we be doing, you know, more, you know, real estate development, right? And, and, and looking and they're like, well, I don't know anything about that, right? I don't have any context for that. Push behind, like the first step, look for in an academic environment. I want to fix food islands in this, in this, country, right? We'll dig into it. What's keeping good, healthy produce from getting to these inner city neighborhoods, right? Well, it's a business a business model problem. Well, how do I fix that, right? Go to the, you know, look and do it from a 360 view. What are all the different careers that you could do? And then as you zero in on that, then ask yourself the questions, where do I fit? right? Where does the MBA come in? How do I prepare myself for the MBA? Because we're going to need people at the top of, you know, of the ladder making these changes. But so many times it's, I just, I only, I know I want to fix things, but I don't, I only know my world. And I'd say, you know, which when my fellows find an industry that they didn't know much about, but they are like, oh, I wish this had existed, or I wish this was more expanded in my, my community. That's when, when they get really into their passion and that's where they have lifelong careers. Such golden advice. I mean, absolutely amazing advice. And I need to send some of that advice to some people in my family, actually, who I, I think need to, to take a, a similar course of action. So very last question, I asked this question yeah. of all my guests. If you had seven days Ooh. to execute on some project or something and you had unlimited resources for those seven days, what would you focus on? Gun control. Absolutely. I, I, I would buy every gun company and close them down. I would, you know, I, that's that's... That's really a emotional touch point for me. But yeah, I would, I would, I have to tell you what I would, I would repeal the second amendment, but that's a little radical for probably what you're asking. Um, but that's, we, we've lost the right to bear arms in this country. So that's my personal thing. Well, Kendra, thank you so much for coming on this, oh, this live discussion I am with us. I'm truly honored. So really fun. Am. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, this was fun. <laughs>
it's just fun and you are just such a special person and i'll just speak in this little small moment for the behalf of the people that are listening and the folks that have been just really accelerated by the, the program we thank you oh no i'm happy to do it and when you need more guests you call me i've got the people for you because i'm i want everybody's voice and story to be out there so you you know i will well hey <laughs> thank you <laughs> thanks okay. a lot kendra thanks and thanks for watching everyone all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter, Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought forum where we share knowledge and ideas, views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.